It's a, uh, it's a real privilege to introduce uh, Shane Claiborne. Uh, you're over here um, for a while and you, you're stopping off with us this morning. We're really, really grateful for that. Um, Shane's uh, ridden a bunch, speaks around the world on the issues of justice. Um, and so, yeah, we can't wait to learn from you today. Uh, tell us a little bit, for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you came to be passionate about justice, what it is you're doing over here, Red Letter Christians, all that sort of stuff. Tell us a bit yeah, about. yeah. Well, I grew up down south, in case you can't tell. Uh, you know, we we have country music down there, and it's the Bible Belt. So I fell in love with Jesus and guns. Uh, we got a song that says, this house is protected by the good Lord and a gun. And if you come uninvited, you'll meet them both, son. Uh, so it was a weird world, you know, like down south. and um, But I fell in love with Jesus, and then I began to question a lot of things, like my guns. And, you know, and like how we had put together things that might not... Uh, be supposed to be together, and, and and justice was a part of that because the the Christianity that I uh, first grew up with, um, I, I didn't feel a real connection to justice. In fact, we still were very segregated racially. We were very detached from uh, people in poverty, and um, and and it was only as I kept leaning into Jesus that. Um, I became, I found myself asking a lot of questions about the, the evangelical Christianity that I grew up in. And so uh, I, I moved to Philly and uh, in a neighborhood real different from what I grew up in. Uh, and I, when I first went downtown, I was so scared people would hear my southern accent that they would mug me. And so I left all my credit cards and money at my college. And while I was downtown, one of the first times, someone dro- broke into my dorm room and stole all my credit cards. And uh <laughs> So I thought, isn't it strange, like, who we're conditioned to trust and who we're, like, conditioned to be fearful around? And, and so my world kind of blew up, and, and I, I kept um, entering into this connection between Jesus and justice, which I'm convinced are kind of like blades of scissors. They've got to they've go together. So tell us about um, Red Letter Christians, this thing you've got down here, and um, what you were up to yesterday as well. Yeah. So, like, a friend of mine was getting interviewed by this DJ who didn't really have much to do with Christianity, but he said, you know, I've read the Bible, and there's parts of it that I love. There's also parts of it, frankly, that I find a little confusing and troubling, and he said, but I've always liked the stuff in red, and he was talking about the the old Bibles that have the words of Jesus in red. He said, I love the red stuff, and you guys seem to like the red stuff. You should call yourselves red-letter Christians, and it kind of stuck, you know, because um, I mean, the whole Bible is so important, but it's also like Jesus is the lens through which we everything comes together, you know, and we often interpret Jesus um, in light of the Old Testament or Paul rather than understanding the whole Bible through the lens of Jesus. So um, we've been launching Red Letter Christians over here in the UK with my buddy Ash Barker over there, who's the director. Ash and Wave. Uh, yeah. Other good friends, um, you know, Naomi and, um, and uh, Mike um, that are... We've been traveling together all over the country, you know, and, and, and uh, um, so, but the other thing we've been doing in the U.S. is we have a lot of guns, in case you haven't heard, and, um, and uh, we, so we've got more guns than people, in fact, so we invited people to start donating guns, 
And we were inspired by the prophets, Mike and Isaiah, that say we will beat our swords into plows. And we're like, well, we don't have any swords, but we got a lot of guns. So we started melting guns. And I got a plow that I've been bringing with me. Um, This was made out of an AR-15, which was one of those assault rifles that's used in so many of our mass shootings. So we took it off the streets of Philly, melted it down, and made this plow. And uh, I managed to get it on an airplane. And, uh, yeah, so... um, (laughs) But, you know, you don't have as many guns, but there's just, a, 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 you know, a yeah. crisis of, of violence all over the world. And one of the manifestations of that here is the knife violence. And so we've got uh, knives that have been taken off the streets uh, of the U.K. Um, and, and some of them are um, crime knives that have been used in crimes. And we're, we've been melting those down and transforming them uh, into art and other beautiful things. So we're doing that in several cities. And sometimes, like yesterday, there was a young man who's one of his best friends was killed, and so uh, there's also something healing that happens as we kind of give space for people's grief and for the spirit to meet us there. So, yeah, man. and it's you know timely in terms of everything that's happened in the city over the last couple of nights. So we're really um, it's an amazing sign today of, of the hope in Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell us, we're, we're on a bit of a journey as a community uh, into sort of spiritual disciplines and everyday sort of simple ways of following Jesus that's quite radical in the end. And I think one of the things that can end up happening with that is become quite introspective. Um, and it, we think that sort of spiritual formation is entirely about us. But we really, really don't want that to be the case here and think it's about our neighbor too, that as we grow more patient, that changes us, but it should be good news for our neighbor too. And all the other things as we try and do what Jesus did. Tell us a little bit about um, your community back in Philly and just the connection between spiritual practices and justice and a life lived that makes a difference to others. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I'll share a little bit more about the community. We we just celebrated 20 years and we were born um, uh, really out of a movement of solidarity with homeless moms and kids in our our city. We we have uh, thousands of moms and kids that don't have homes and some of them were living in an abandoned church building and I was a student at the time, and we heard about that, and we got involved with uh, these families that were, um, ironically, you know, like living in the shell of this old Catholic cathedral. And they had hung a banner on the front that said, how can we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore one on Monday? Come on, right? And so, like, immediately that began to reshape some of the depth of my own spirituality, because we had communion there, but it was like, donated bagels and, you know, apple cider was our communion, (laughs) you know, it's because of what what we had. And so I really began to think of a lot of those spiritual disciplines differently, like fasting. Um, Most of these moms didn't didn't need to fast because they had been so hungry, you know, and yet I, I began to realize that a part of why we fast is to connect to God, but also to connect to those who are hungry, you know, and to sensitize ourselves to suffering. So I think sometimes we see these spiritual disciplines kind of detached from each other. But when we fast, those of us that are able to do some, it's not the the discipline they need. But for some of us, I think it can uh, kind of move us in sensitivity to the spirit, but also to the suffering of others as we feel our, our bellies hungry a little bit, you know, and um, we've kind of learned to pray together because we're an eclectic mix. We've always had Catholics and Pentecostals and, you know, Anabaptists, different traditions of the church together. So we have a, a prayer book that we, we created called Common Prayer, 
And um, uh, we, we pray a lot of those prayers together. But one of the things I do is I, I carry these be- beads around. Don't, don't get too whacked out, those of you that don't like a, a rosary. But um, I've learned from my Catholic friends, I don't exactly do the um, Hail Marys. That, that's not my favorite prayer. But I like, I like to use the beads because they help me concentrate. I have a little bit of a you know, wild mind. So, but I hold them and I, I pray like the fruits of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, and I find that I can just hold those in my pocket, and I meditate on those, and one of my prayers is that the, that the, the character of God would become more and more a part of my character, so that helps me, like, have a physical way to do that, you know? Amazing. Well, we really want to get you on preaching so we can hear more. Uh, what's your one hope for us today as, as a community, that what would we catch today? I, I hope we, we, we just fall deeper in love with Jesus and justice, which are so deeply connected. Maybe for some of us, the justice thing is a new edge, and maybe for others, it's, it's leaning into Jesus. That's my hope. So I, I think it's helpful to confess that I, I, I like, I, I was, in East Tennessee, I was like a, a really cool kid. I, I like, just to tell you how small the town is I was from, I was prom king. <laughs> Boom, you know? Um, there wasn't a whole lot of competition, but um, I was, you know, and I, I, um, I went to the cool church. I was in the cool crowd. I, like, uh, um, made straight A's, you know. I was going to go figure out how to uh, uh, do a job where I could make a lot of money but have as much free time as possible to go snowboarding as much as I could. And then I began to encounter Jesus. And my world kind of started to flip a little bit because I saw Jesus saying, if you want to become the greatest, you should become the least. You know, that you should, uh, that how much God cares about the poor and all these things that were like kind of new to me. And I heard this preacher say, if we find ourselves climbing the ladder of upward mobility and success and status, we should be careful or else on our way up, we might pass Jesus on his way down. And I was like, wow, this is making me a little uncomfortable, you know. And then I, I uh, encountered uh, uh, Rich Mullins. Do y'all know that name? Rich Mullins, a wonderful singer and songwriter, wrote some of the great songs of the church. He died in a car crash uh, uh, like 20 years ago, but he's an amazing guy. So he preached it when I was in college, and he said um, to, to my little Christian school, he said, you guys are all into that born again thing, and that's awesome. We need to be born again. Jesus says that to one guy, a guy named Nicodemus. And he said, but if you tell me I got to be born again, I can tell you that you got to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Because Jesus said that to one guy too. Everybody got really awkwardly quiet, you know. And, and, then, uh, and then Rich goes, but I guess that's why God invented highlighters, so we could highlight the parts we like. <laughs> and then it got even more awkward, and he never got invited back. But, I, you know, I, I really like... I started to wrestle with this, you know, connection to how we hold our stuff. And, of, of course, that, that um, really began to happen in Philly as we lived in closer proximity to people who were homeless and, you know, struggling. And I realized that, like, everything in our world is pulling us away from the suffering. And yet the gravity of the gospel should take us into the suffering, right? That the whole story is about a God who leaves the comfort of heaven to join the struggle here on earth, who is born a refugee, who is executed on a cross, who enters into the suffering of the world from the moment he's born until he breathes his last breath. And that that act of solidarity with those who are hurting, like it began to compel me. But then I, I started going, well, who, like, who's actually doing that? You know, I mean, because I began to see that I think the church is really good 
good at making believers, but not as good at forming disciples. Right? And we can worship Jesus without doing all the things he said. And yet the scripture says that we can have faith to move mountains and speak of the tongues of men and of angels and do all sorts of miracles and prophecies. But if we don't have love, it's still empty. That we're, you know, we're called to this kind of whole life transformation. So I kept reading about a lot of really great dead people. You know, John Wesley and Wilberforce and Dorothy Day and, you know, and um, they were all gone though. And then um, Mother Teresa was still alive at the time. And so when, when you're like, 18 years old, that's the great thing. No, nothing's impossible. So we were like, we need to learn how to follow Jesus, so let's learn from Mother Teresa. And we wrote her a letter saying, we don't know if you give internships, but if you do. you know. And uh, we, we never got a letter back, but we, um, that didn't stop us. We just started calling nuns and asking them uh, for Mother Teresa's number. And uh, so we, we ended up calling, and she picked up the phone, right? <laughs> which was awesome, and uh, I was, like, expecting a polite receptionist, and, 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 she, and I just heard, hello! I'm like, we're trying to get a hold of the nuns that work with Mother Teresa. She's like, this is Mother Teresa. I'm like, well, that'll work, and I'm the Pope, you know, but I, uh, we went over, and we, but one of the things I learned from going to India is Mother Teresa had a great line. She used to say, uh, Calcuttas are everywhere if we'll only have eyes to see. So you don't have to go across the world to, to follow Jesus. You, sometimes it's easier to love you know, folks in Uganda than the people right next door. And so I let's figure out how to do that. So we came back from India really stirred. Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus where we are? And we, we began to practice hospitality to uh, folks that were on the street. We have a, a recovery community for folks recovering from addiction, mostly heroin. We started doing all this stuff. Um, and, and it was mostly acts of compassion, which we still do. We share food every week. We help kids with homework. Uh, but there also became a, uh, you know, this question of justice. Because after you feed so many people week after week, you start to ask, why are people hungry to begin with? You know, as we saw so more, more homeless people on our streets, um, there, there are more abandoned houses in Philly than there are homeless folks. And these things didn't add up, you know. And it all finally climaxed in sort of this, uh, these laws that our city passed that began to um, discriminate against the homeless. And we're still seeing these laws all over the United States, laws that make it illegal to sleep in public places, uh, laws that make it illegal to ask for money. One of the final laws in Philly was a feeding ordinance that made it illegal to give out food to the homeless. And so we thought, you know, what would Jesus do? And uh, Jesus said, when I, when I was hungry, did you feed me? So we uh, decided we need to challenge these laws, and we got a huge uh, picnic together. We got, you know, brought our guitars and our drums, and we met in downtown Philly, invited all our homeless friends, and we, uh, we, we had a worship service, but then we served communion after it. And uh, that was tricky because you're not allowed to distribute food, you know, and all the police are around. They're like, I'm not arresting them for having communion. In fact, I think maybe I need to take communion, you know, and then after communion, we kept breaking the bread by bringing in pizzas and stuff. And then uh, we, we would sleep in the park, you know, to challenge the hours that were placed on public spaces. And we did it night after night for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then one night out of the blue, the police were ordered to surround the park and to arrest us all. <laughs> so that was new for me. We went to jail and, uh, my mom was not happy about this, and uh, we, we um, did it over and over, so we went to jail over and over, but we, kept, we ended up going to trial, and we were able to challenge those laws, and one of the things that, that uh, happened uh, as we went to trial was I had a shirt on that said Jesus was homeless, and the judge goes, 
Jesus was homeless. I didn't know that. I said, uh, yeah, your honor, in the scripture, Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. And the judge goes, you guys might stand a chance. And we did. We uh, argued our case, and uh, we decided, you know, rather than having all our big lawyers, we just wanted one of our homeless friends to represent us. And so Fonzo, who we all knew as Fonz because he was smooth, you know, and uh, we got, you're part, he volunteered. So he, we, he's, we go to trial, and Fonzo stands up, and he goes, on behalf of the group, I'd like to say... Where, you know, there's that scripture that says, don't worry when they drag you before the court. The spirit will give you the words. We're praying for him, you know. And Fonz goes, we believe these laws are evil and wrong. And we rest our case. Oh. <laughs> and uh, we're like, all right. Make it short and sweet, you know. And uh, uh, the, the, the district attorney, the prosecuting attorney, was not impressed by any of this. She wanted us to go to jail. She went us to, she said we were uh, defiant criminals that we should uh, you know have hours this is a kicker hours and hours of mandatory community service <laughs> no not that you know so we go we go to uh, you know, as we go to trial, uh, it keeps moving forward. She, she ends up uh, really throwing the book at us, and the judge interrupts the whole scene he says, listen it's clear that these guys have been breaking the law. no one needs to convince me of that." What is in question here are the laws that we're passing in this country that discriminate against some of our most vulnerable people. And he said, if it weren't for people that broke the bad laws, we wouldn't have the freedom that we have. That's what this country's built on from the Boston Tea Party to the civil rights movement. That works better in the States, but you see where it's going. You know, that like if it weren't for people that broke the bad laws, we, we wouldn't even have the freedom that we have. The Underground Railroad, all these ways that we ended slavery, that, that we need some, some folks that are stirring it up. And the judge said, these guys are not criminals. They're freedom fighters. And I find them all not guilty on every charge. So that was a good day. My mom was happy. And... Um, you should uh, pray that we keep getting the same judge over and over, you know, because we're still challenging some of those same policies of our government. Of course, now the questions are a little bit different. It's about welcoming immigrants and refugees, asylum seekers, when some of our uh, leaders are, are not making choices that look a lot like Jesus. You know, and we look to Jesus and we say, he says, when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. When you don't welcome the stranger, you don't welcome me. So this is uh, where we're, we're at right now. And I love that we have a history in the church of holy troublemakers, right? Because when we, uh, Martin Luther King said when he first went to jail, he was a little disturbed to go to jail, but then he looked at history and saw what good company he had there. He's, he was accused of being maladjusted, uh, and he embraced the word. He said, you're darn right I'm maladjusted. We've become way too adjusted to inequality. We've become way too adjusted to violence. We've become way too adjusted to racism in our world. So uh, we need some maladjusted people. And it's that scripture in Romans that calls us to be maladjusted, right? That says we are not to conform to the patterns of this world, but we are to be transformed, to have a renewing of our mind, a new imagination with how we live in the world. And the more I look at the trajectory of the kingdom of God, I'm convinced it spins the whole world upside down, right? The last are first, the first are last. But it also says the mighty are cast from their thrones and the lowly are lifted. The hungry are filled with good things and the rich 
are sent away fasting, right? They are sent away empty. There's this kind of leveling that is almost offensive. As some have said, the gospel, when we really hear it, should disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. There's something about the gospel that should shake us up a little, right? And there's always new questions, especially, uh, you know, in our country right now. We, uh, I'm not going to get into it too much because I think sometimes y'all let yourself off the hook by seeing how bad it is over across the pond. But, you know, I, I I look here, you know, we look and we, I think all of us need to ask, what does it look like to follow Jesus in this time, in this space that we live in? What does it, it look like? How do we stand on the side of love in a world that is being conditioned to fear, right? What does it look like to stay faithful to the gospel that said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor in a world that is being discipled by the Kardashians more than Jesus sometimes? Sometimes, right? There's gospels, there's the people, messages that are conflicting in our world. So I, I, I think one of the, the things that we've been doing is challenging the gun violence. But it all began for me when a 19-year-old was shot in front of my house. And he was still alive when I heard the gunshots. I came out and I, I held him in my arms. And uh, he was, you know, taking his final breaths. And, and at that point, we, he was still alive. An ambulance came. And uh, yet the next morning, we found that he had died. And it was after Papito died. His name was Papito. And he, um, he died at 19. And I remember Martin Luther King. One of the things that he said is, we are all called to be the good Samaritan. And lift our neighbor out of the ditch on the road to Jericho. But after you lift so many people out of the ditch, you start to say, maybe we need to rethink the whole road to Jericho. And a part of this gospel is about reimagining the world, right? The kingdom of God that Jesus talked about is not just something we go up to when we die, but something we bring on earth while we live, right? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I think sometimes in the church, we're really good at promising people life after death. When a lot of folks in this world are asking, is there life before death? Right? And doesn't our gospel have any good news to speak to those who are victims of violence and whose bellies are hungry and who are still filling the chains, suffocating their hope and dignity? And so those... Um, one of the things that we did as we began to beat the guns into plows, I'll never forget this one service we had. And uh, one mom after the other is just beating on... The, 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 the metal of a gun as it's being transformed. Moms that lost their kids are weeping. And, and, um, and we read the gospel of Jesus' death on the cross and the women that wept at the foot of the cross. There was something. There's one of those times where the spirit just hit us, you know. And, and this woman came up afterwards. She's just crying. And she says, I get it. I get it. I said, what? And she said, God knows what it feels like to lose your baby. It was Papito's mom. And the idea that God knows what it feels like to suffer violence, even to suffer to the point of loneliness that someone would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have a God that uh, is with us in the pain, but a God who is also calling us not to grow too far from the pain of this world or we find ourselves growing farther and farther from a God who is near to the poor and near to the suffering. And so in the end, 
we'll be asked, according to Jesus, a few questions as we are, you know, confronted uh, with with the reality of our lives. And I, I always like Matthew 25, where, you know, the final account of the judgment, according to Jesus, is not just a doctrinal test. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not that God's going to go, okay, virgin birth, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree. We might wish it was. We'd probably pass a doctrinal test, right? But actually, the questions we're going to be asked are, when I was in prison, did you come visit me? When I was hungry, did you take care of me? When I was sick, did you uh, heal me? Did, when, when, when I was uh, thirsty, did you give me something to drink? That the, the demonstration of our faith is how it works itself out, especially in relation to the most vulnerable people in our world. Now, I always like how Jackie Pollinger is very careful. You know who she is, right? She's an incredible woman. Ash, I think, first introduced me to her. And one of the things she says is, we always have to be careful that we're not saying our works earn our salvation, but we should always say our works demonstrate our salvation. And if our faith doesn't impact those who are most vulnerable in our society, we should ask ourselves, are we really disciples of Jesus or are we just believers who worship on Sunday? Right? That this call is a call to action. And I'll, I'll uh, close just by saying as we've been traveling around the U.K., it's, it's so beautiful to see a, uh, this kind of holy uprising of folks who want a faith that looks like Jesus again. Who want a faith that's not just about escaping this world and going to heaven, but that is also about engaging this world and bringing heaven on earth. I'm excited about the afterlife, and we'll party like there's no tomorrow. But in the end, Jesus did not just come to prepare us to die. Right? Jesus came to uh, invite us to participate in the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. So I'll, I'll just close with a, the one last image. Every image that Jesus gives of the kingdom of God coming on earth, they're these beautiful kind of infectious invasions of love and grace. So you think about the images like light, which, you know, kind of overcomes darkness. And we think of yeast, which makes its way through the bread and, and uh, uh, mustard, which was known to be like a in kind of invasive plant, which you, if you got it in your garden, all you would have was a mustard garden, you know. And one of the images, though, that I caught of uh, the kingdom of God is an East Tennessee image that my grandpa uh, kind of stirred in me because he was a farmer and they used to we used to bale hay in East Tennessee you know where you would cut these fields and we'd bale these hay bales on and um, one day we had put so much hay on the trailer that it had, it was just top heavy it was just this tower of hay and my uncle and my grandfather were driving down the road and they didn't notice that it was rubbing on the tire. And it begins to get hot and it caught fire, right? And it's hay, so it spreads, you know. And they're driving along. People are waving them down. They're like, hey, Henry, you know, we all know each other. They didn't even think anything of it. And then finally they look and they're like, oh, gosh, we are on fire, you know. And there's this trail of fire going behind them. And they pulled over. But when they pulled over and stopped, all the fire that was going behind them began to melt the back of the truck. So he's like, this ain't going to work. Get back in. We're going to go. So they get back on the highway. And they're driving, trying to shake the fire off the truck. And it's a terrible idea. You know, they're getting like fire followed by fire trucks and stuff, and eventually um, they put it all out, and my grandfather said, um, after he got out of jail, um, no, he, he said, Shane, 
we caught half of East Tennessee on fire this week. And I thought to myself, what a great image. Not that we should, you know, burn things down, but like we should leave a trail behind us, right? Like people should see, as, as Jesus said, that we, we should shine in a way that points towards heaven, right? That we should leave off the fragrance of Jesus in the world. And so my prayer as we're traveling through praying over, you know, nine different communities in the UK that we would see folks begin to shine as Jesus shines to address the issues of injustice and violence and hatred and racism that are still prevalent in, in, in our world, that we would see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So uh, let's pray that that fire that lived in Jesus would live in us. One of the great prayers we prayed in India every morning with Mother Teresa, we would pray, may every person I come in contact with feel your love in my soul. May I leave off your fragrance everywhere I go. And I realize, as Paul said, that the life we live, we no longer live, but Jesus lives in us. Our prayer is that Jesus would shine and love and touch the world through us. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, what a, what a gift it is to be in uh, this community of, of worship.